0: Welcome to the View in Your Mirror podcast. We are your hosts, Lisa Rubin and Katie Harms. From new moves to tried and true strategies, we'll dissect the ways in which clothing and a little organization can and does affect your daily life. Come along as we hope to inspire, engage, and shape your rituals as well as your shapewear.
1: (laughs) We are back, Lisa Rubin. We are back, Katie Harms. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've been very busy, very busy. Um, Is that a good thing? Do you ever feel like,
0: oh, I wish I weren't that busy? Or are you, do you love, does busyness
1: keep you? And is it, wait, I've asked six questions in one. Let me ask this question. I I understand that Katie. I'm used to. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) you are. But I always try to surprise you. Is your busyness
0: defined? In other words, is it how you want it to be as opposed to things coming at you and you not enjoying the busyness?
1: I am much more productive when I am busy than when I'm not busy. I am not a person that can sit back and relax, never have been. Sometimes I wish I could relax more, but when I can do what I'm passionate about, which is what I do for a living and this podcast now, I am a better version of myself. I love that. You know
0: yourself, you know what works for you. I also feel like when you feel that it's time to get some relaxation in or pull back, you are able to recognize that and do that. Yes? No. Really?
1: Not really. I just fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I mean, I I, I do try. I, I love. I'm. A, I like to walk, and so my relaxation is going to take a long walk, and then I listen to podcasts. I have a lot of podcasts that I really love. And tell me, tell me some. I of learn them. from them. Yep. Tell me some of them. What are What are some of the podcasts you love? How I Built This by Guy mm-hmm. Raz. Yes. Um. I also like. Nine to five ish. <laughs> okay. Fabulous. That's by the women that started the skim. Okay. I also listen to Dear Founder. Mm-hmm. Fabulous podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also listen to The Daily, which gives me kind of things that are happening in the world from a perspective that's not subjective, it's more objective. So that's kind of my daily dose of news. They do a podcast every morning. Or they drop a podcast every morning and it's very current.
0: And you've gotten you've gotten very good at taking your walk with your earbuds, listening to a podcast, fitting that in,
1: maybe every when you're day. driving to a client or something like that. Keep my tennis shoes in my car. Yes. And you'll you'll grab And a walk that's between. my that's my relaxation. But I always learn from a podcast. Like I pick a podcast to listen to that. It might give me some perspective on my business, some perspective on me for self-care, whatever it is, and how I'm feeling for the day. I probably have six to 10 podcasts downloaded, and then I choose which one for that day I want to listen to, and that, I guess, is my relaxation. I think that's fabulous, and as long as we're
0: talking about podcasts, because it is a fairly new realm, especially for our generation, right? I still run into people that are like, I I didn't have time to watch your podcast. I'm like, no, no, you don't watch a podcast, something you listen to. So we go through the, what is a podcast, how you get on there. And, and most people that have, if you have an Apple product, you have a podcast icon on there. And if you click on that and you go in and you, in the search bar, anything you're interested in, maybe you're interested in model trains, maybe you're interested in i don't know pick something and you can put it in there and there's a podcast that you can listen to and while it was relatively easy to start a podcast and we are learning so much and we really appreciate other podcasts that we listen to hear how they're doing love to promote them because it is it's like it's a little like a book on tape but in a different you can listen to a book on tape you can listen to a podcast that's got a storyline ours is much more what would you call it entertainment open flow not well really I'm a, hoping a script that, that type that, of thing but there are so many you can find a podcast besides ours <laughs> that really
1: interests you and that's the fun of podcasting I also think that when we're doing our podcast in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about what did I enjoy in other people's podcasts that made me want to listen to another one. And I'm hoping that our podcast that we have, people think the same thing.
0: Well, we're approaching some really good numbers with our podcast. We're approaching that 10,000 mark, which is so exciting. I think for new podcasts, new podcasts, that's a great number to hit. So Thank you to everybody who's been listening to us, who's been listening to all of our crazy, which we love. And um, you know what? The other thing is, Lisa, we have not thrown in a good broad discussion for a really long time. <laughs> huh. So switching gears, I'm going to tell you, I bought the Honey Love, no underwire. I,
1: what do you call Cammy, it? Camiselle bra? Cammy, yeah. It's changed my life. See? It's I know. fabulous. And I just ordered a bunch of new bras for myself from third love. Cause those are the bras I like for my body. Mm-hmm. And I put them on yesterday. Of course I had to adjust the bra strap a little bit, you of know, because you that bothers me, Of course, but I'm like, Oh my God, this is like wonderful. And I took all my old bras and I went boom, 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 right in the garbage. Yeah. I don't want to look at them. Yeah. Oh, so, Yes. So
0: smart that 's the way to do it, one in, one out, or you know two in that you know you're going to wear all the time, and six out because they 're just taking up space that's how it's really okay to throw things away. people. Last thing I want to talk about this is all random stuff before we invite in our guest, who is author Kathleen West, who is uh, local to Minnesota. she is an award winning author and uh, a former, if not present school teacher. We're going to find that out from her and uh, just love what she's doing. So before we do that, I want to tell you, and this is, you know, we try to do evergreen on our podcast, meaning no matter when you listen to this, it's going to be relevant to you. Uh, I recently got done with a project that I'm very proud of that I want to talk about, which is a beautiful home on the artisan home tour in the Twin Cities. And it's going on now. We're in June of 2022. And, you know, I don't do much with builders anymore in the realm of closets. But in this case, I worked with M&M and I'm going to give them a shout out because this home is such a lovely home. There's so many beautiful homes on the Artisan Home Tour and many builders that are just exquisite and wonderful. This one I got a chance to work on. So if you get a chance to get out and see this Eminem home and the Artisan Home Tour, that money goes to promote Housing First Foundation, which is doing amazing things like building uh, homes for veterans and whatnot. It's all the nonprofit arm of the Builders Association of Minnesota. So that's another little nonprofit plug that we're putting in, but really important because it's, it's the realm that I have worked in for so many years. And uh, go see it. Go see it. Try and see it online. I'll get some pictures up on my website. Uh, really a fun one to work on. So there, there you have it. That's an awful lot and kind of a winding road of things to discuss, but let's welcome Kathleen West. I'm so excited to talk to her as I know you are as well, Lisa.
1: Well, Kathleen, thank you for being a guest on our podcast. I am so excited to have you. I'm actually kind of giddy and Katie knows that I don't really get giddy because I've had a secret that I wanted to write a book about my 39 plus years of doing what I do as a wardrobe consultant because I've had so many crazy experiences, but I am not a writer. And that's actually how Katie and I met because Katie is a writer and I wanted her to write my book.
2: Okay, what? well, my wheels are already spinning. Thank you for having me on the podcast, but I was like, oh, right away, I'm like, maybe in my next main character needs to be a wardrobe consultant with oh, 39 well, years of I experience. love
1: it. Yeah. Maybe you two need tell And me. I can be your secret ghost person. Right, yes. Done. <laughs> Although <laughs> okay, there okay, listens to this podcast,
0: there is no
1: secret. There are no books about that, except for... The woman from Bergdorf's, who was a wardrobe consultant, and it's that's the only one that I know of because I tried to find them to read them, and hers was fabulous. Yeah, I can't think of anyone.
2: I haven't read uh, behind like an inside wardrobe consultant novel either. Um, I've read like hotel desk people, like some insider stuff about that, but no. So this could be a whole new avenue. We could develop something really fun.
1: Well, I wasn't expecting that as the answer, but we can talk later. Okay, sounds good. (laughs) Because I have a lot to say, anyways. (laughs) But let's get into the nitty gritty. So, do you have a name like that your friends and family call you, or do you go by Kathy, Kathleen? Oh, most most people in real life call me Casey. My middle initial is C,
2: so it's Kathleen C. West, And so in real life, almost everybody calls me Casey.
1: Kathleen or Casey? You know, I
2: answer to both of them. And um, like, if I assign an email to you, I'll always say Kathleen. But like, there are very few people that actually call me Kathleen on a day-to-day basis. So feel free to call me Casey. Okay. How about your mom when she got mad at you when you were a young girl? Always Casey. Um, She never switched to Kathleen, no. I, I almost said I never got in trouble, but we know that's not true. <laughs> I think maybe she was more of a silent mad person than a yeller mad person. So if she went quiet, I knew I was really in trouble.
0: Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. Well, we're not going to go quiet on the podcast, but I do have a bone to pick with you, Casey. Okay. <laughs> because I have had the pleasure of reading through some of your books. I'm, you, you are my weekend binge up at the cabin this weekend. And I've listened to some podcasts, I've read your blog, you have this level of confidence and ease. And I'm so envious of that because I've actually maybe got half a book going and a friend who's really been working with me and pushing me to do it. And I'm absolutely stumped, not stumped. I just am not taking the time to do it. And you talk about in your blog, you know, I don't want to write, I just, okay, I got to get to it do it, and you have this ease and confidence, where did that come from? That was a very long question, probably would have been a whole chapter in a book.
2: Well, it's all fake, I have no ease and confidence. (laughs) Inside, I'm like a whirling pit of like despair and anxiety. And then I just take a lot of energy to project (laughs) some kind of ease and confidence. Um, Like a perfect example is like last night, I had an event and I practiced for hours to make it seem off the cuff. So it's all an act. Um, And I, I'm very good at self-discipline. So I can like make myself a list of checkboxes. And I'm I'm pretty regimented about things like, so I need to um, get my job done. Like I need to write, I have another contract for another book, so it's not an option. So I just make a little box in my planner and I have a quota that I have to meet for the day. And then I just, I have to do it. So there's nothing like, easy or good about it or, um, I don't know, confident about it. It's just every day I do a little bit.
1: So you're from the uh, fake it till you make it. 100%. And I, we actually, I'm a high school teacher.
2: We talked about that in class. It was one of the questions that we were looking at in the last novel that we read together. We were kind of exploring life's big questions and it's like, can you fake it until you make it? And I mean, I think absolutely yes. Um, I mean, I'm guessing, Lisa, you think so too. Like as a wardrobe consultant, like if I put on an outfit, I'm going to be okay, right? Like I'm going to get dressed, like I'm playing the part. And it's not like I'm being fake. It's just that I'm being intentional about the kind of person that I want to be that day.
1: Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question (laughs) in the beginning because you just nailed something. I usually ask this question on podcast at the end, but let's just have a little conversation about this. So do you have what I call the uniform when you're doing your book tour or do you have a lucky piece? So when you're getting ready to do all of these events, what goes on in your mind so that you feel the most confident you can? Because if you like your outfit, you're going to do a better job. You are. Um, I, so
2: I had to get help, right? Like most of your clients need your, need your help. Right? right? So I also had help um, someone two years ago, like before the shutdown happened, um, I had a wardrobe consultant and she, um, she was just like, okay, here's what you need to do. And she was so friendly and approachable because I feel stupid that I don't know, but that's your, like, it's not my job to know. It's your job to know. Right. Like I feel stupid that I don't know how to arrange the furniture in my living room, but that's not my job. Like I'm not good at it. I can hire Katie to help me do that. So, um, so she helped me. And then once like, good, like when she helped me, I was like, okay, well now I understand, like I could put this shirt with this, whatever. Um, and so I've gotten a little bit better about mixing and matching things and I'll take a few more risks. Um, she also, I like asked her, okay, I don't know how to like choose my makeup. And so I hired someone to help me do that. Like I, you just need to put the tools together so that you can right. figure it out. And then Once you have a little bit of a lesson or a background, like, you can go. So in terms of, like, a lucky outfit or, like, a lucky piece, I have a few things that I, like, I'm like, oh, this has looked good in the past. Like, I know this is going to look good. And sometimes then I'll just be willing to take a risk. It's really funny because my students at visitation um, will tell me how they think I'm doing on (laughs) my... They're like, oh, you've really been experimenting with pattern mixing this week. This one was good. This one wasn't so good. I'm like, okay, girls, (laughs) thank you very much. But at least, like, at least then I'm out of, like, I'm out of my comfort zone. Like, I'm willing to
0: to miss sometimes. I think
2: that's important.
0: Well, and humor. Humor seems to be Mm -hmm. a big part of your existence.
2: Yes, 100%. I, I feel like laughing is is the only thing that gets me through the day. And also I have a very funny family. My husband is hilarious and my kids are funny. So like in order to keep up with them, I have to be on my game.
0: So you said that you practice to be, um, spontaneous, but you had no idea what any of our questions were. So I would say you've got to give yourself a little bit more credit because you came out of the box funny and you had no idea what we were going to talk about (laughs) within obviously your book and and what's going on in your life. So practiced or not, you're you're a you're a funny human. You also nailed something when you say you're not good at something,
1: we can't all be good at everything.
0: And even though Lisa and I think we're writers, we're going to need
1: help along the way right? I mean, I am not a writer. I will tell you right now, I'm not a writer. So and I, I I would want someone else to write my book.
0: Yeah, and I love to write, but I was told when I was in grade school, and this is just awful, that uh, I wasn't a good writer. And that stuck with me. I mean, really, and my sentence structure and all of that, I didn't, It took me a long time to learn those things. I think probably if we go back and if I were to be tested, I probably had a little bit of a learning disability, but, you know, being a, a little bit of a confident kid and, you know, kind of obnoxious probably along the way it's all worked out, but I still, so back to my point is, you know, Lisa has, is just, she lives it, breathes it eats it, sleeps it, it comes out of her pores, what she does. And for me too, I found this niche in organizing spaces and, and that's great. And if the other things come, but you, you cannot be expert in everything. And so you're smart to reach out and get that help in those areas where you're not, because it gives you more time to do what you are brilliant at, which is right. Yeah. And I think also like, there's
2: some things that I am really interested in, learning you know like I um uh oh I want to know more about like how to train runners like in athletics so like that's just an example that I thought of so like I'm going to invest a lot of time in reading but I just in some areas I just know that I don't have the baseline of talent I don't have the motivation to learn it so the best thing for me to do is to um ask someone to help me right
1: you know an analogy that I tell a lot of new clients that I get that you know, are high level or very um, successful in what they do. And they say the same thing you just said on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, you go to the dentist, right? And you get your teeth cleaned. Well, you brush your teeth every day. You floss, hopefully, every day, maybe every other day. Yeah. But when you go to the dentist, they basically are cleaning and doing the same thing that you do only they are professionally trained to see it and have a different eye and clean your teeth in a different way. That's what I do for people. You know, you get dressed every day, you do choose outfits. But now you have someone different looking at what would be best for you in a very objective way, not a subjective way. So that kind of eases people's mind going, Oh, yeah, you're right. I never looked at it. Mm-hmm. That. I mean, you clean your house, right? But some people can afford to hire a cleaning person to do the same thing. And they probably do it better than you do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the same.
0: You also learn your lifelong learning. So every time you're doing a book or you come up with an idea, you're going you're gonna to research and learn. And, and that's that lifelong learning, which I think is so incredible. And really, you cannot keep up with everything. So even no. if you were sort of good at your wardrobe consulting or sort of good at you know, if you want to keep up, not so much with the trends, but really what's working for people, then that's something that both Lisa and I do in our respective professions. And so that, that makes a huge difference. So let's, let's talk about, because you have to organize your life. You're a busy mom, you're teaching Mm -hmm. and you're writing. How often do people who have had, who you've had their children come up to you and say, was that me in that book? (laughs) <laughs> that happened a lot
2: in the beginning, because my first book is a school book, Minor Dramas and Other Catastrophes takes place in a school. The school is pretty clearly Edina High School, which is a school that I taught at in um, from like 2005 to 2011. So people were like, and I, I was teaching third grade when I sold the book, so people were like, oh my gosh, and I told them the premise, and they're like, you wrote a book about me, like the intense parents. <laughs> But um, I I would never like I just teaching is yeah. such a gift and such a, a relationship with families and kids like skewering people was never part of my goal in writing that novel. I feel like I there's like a bunch of ex, um, experiences that I've had that kind of make it into that book. But um really like the intense mom, if she's based on anyone, it's she's based on my own instincts, like I am just as intense as anyone and have had every impulse to call every coach and teacher in the world. And the only reason I haven't done it is that I've had the good fortune of being on the other side of that call to understand what the impact is going to be. So it's only because of like grace that I, um, that I'm not the intense parents that I, that I write about. Um, The only character that I really ever based anyone on, well, in my first novel, The Principal is pretty clearly my principal from Edina High School. And then in my most recent book, um, which is about hockey and um, athletics and adult friendship and all this other stuff, I I did put a real-life friend into that book and a real-life kid, a kid who helped me edit all the hockey. So there are a couple of real people in that novel, but I'd only put someone in there if it would be like a flattering portrait.
0: That's okay. fantastic. And to be able to say, hey, I was in that book. Right. Is, is pretty cool. It yeah, is pretty that, cool. That I'm I'm most excited to read that, having come from a very large hockey community and having kids very involved in sports and playing at a very high competitive level. There's and I think that one probably does not bring out your humor quite as much, right? Because it's yeah. a little bit more of a very serious topic, but it's done in such a eye-opening way. And well,
2: Yeah, thank you. I was a little bit worried about that. My first novel, it's pretty funny, like that is part of the hook of it. And my second novel also has a lot of humor. So I was kind of worried when I wrote the third novel, there's like a, a pretty big sexual harassment um, storyline in it, which unfortunately is very realistic. It's about two Um, U.S. women's hockey players who are on the national team. And there is a coach that really pressures one of my women to have an affair with him, like with the idea that then she'll make the Olympic team. Um, And she doesn't. And it's kind of about the aftermath of that experience for her throughout her whole life. So as I was writing it, I I even talked to my agent like, this isn't a funny book. And she it just isn't, you know, but we um, I did find some ways to kind of incorporate that part of my style in Um, it's also about youth hockey so I have some intermittent emails from um, like the head hockey manager for the fictional town those are pretty funny and I always probably because I'm a teacher I always write kids and there's an eight-year-old kid who's a point of view character and he has some humorous moments as well so I was able to to kind of touch that part of my style at least as I was branching out
1: okay so I have a question as we're talking when you're writing these books, do you mentally, like have a picture in your mind of what each one of these characters are going to look like? Like, is that part of your writing? Or do you just see them as words? Because for me, I'm such a visual person. And when I'm reading any book, I have already put in my mind what each person is going to look like. So do you do that? That's a really interesting question, and I think this is a place that I'm different
2: than a lot of writers, I usually don't see them. For a long time, maybe even until like one of the last drafts when I'm like okay wait what color were her eyes or like how did I describe her hair before and I usually have to make like a notes file for myself to like say here's what I said she looked like. A lot of writers will start with like a Pinterest board where they find like a model or an actor that looks like their character and have it there for themselves. And for me, that comes a lot later. I don't know why, Um, but it does. And in this last book, I didn't decide until like a really late version that Charlie, the husband of Lee, my um, would-be Olympic hockey player, that he had to be really handsome. I needed him to be really handsome because he makes friends very quickly. And I just was like, well, why would someone make friend very, friends very quickly? And I'm like, oh, probably because he looks like Matthew McConaughey. So then like, he became a Matthew McConaughey lookalike that I mentioned that in the book, but it wasn't until like I needed him to look a certain way for a plot point that I really decided what he looked like. Okay, so
0: maybe, after- maybe you're secretly thinking that when this gets made into a movie, Matthew mm. McConaughey, will play <laughs> the part. Can we say we called it here first? That would be great. <laughs> Why don't we just call his people and make the deal? Yes. 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 Maybe he'll just, maybe he'll take the whole production. Yeah. That'd be, be very
1: smart to do so. So I was going to kind of say the same thing Katie just did, which happens a lot if one of your books were going to be made into a movie, I was going to ask you, have you kicked different actors and actresses for one of your books that would play, let's say the principal of the school? Like, does that happen? Because when I'm reading a book and I love the book and I'm like, oh my God, I would love this to be in a movie. I've already picked who I want to be. Just, it's just like a subconscious thing for me. So do do you
2: ever do that? I do. When I was writing minor dramas, I kind of pictured Jennifer Garner as my teacher character. I think she would be really good. She's too old. Now. The thing is, like, as <laughs> I outage my characters, like when I in my mind, I'm still like thirty five. Um, <laughs> you could and, you could play thirty five. A Jennifer Garner. I Thank you. I do kind of picture the type of person. Um, that might play each person. So like a Jennifer Garner-esque for my teacher character, a Reese Witherspoon sort of person for my intense mom character. Um, and then of course she, Reese Witherspoon did that in Big Little Lies. So I'm not sure she would want to do it again, but anyway, it's moot because as far as I know, no one's making a TV show or a movie out of any of my books right now.
1: Yes. Well, you never know. You never know. Yes. And when you're writing now, do you think about that? Like, as you're writing your your next book, are you thinking, hmm, do I need to write this so that maybe it would be ad- adapted into a movie, a series? Does that ever cross your mind?
2: Mm, not really in the writing process. I did. Minor dramas did get optioned by a studio, which was really exciting. And I got to talk to, like, the Hollywood people, which was really interesting. You know, they... They want to know, like, how much creative control do you want? And the best thing to do as the novelist is to say, I don't need any creative control because then they're more likely to, like, buy it and hire their their own writer to do it. Um, But they were like, okay, well, we need to put some affairs in there. Season two would have to have some, you know, like, they talk to you about how they would need to punch it up for for TV. Um, And that was just really fun and surreal to, like, standing in my bedroom here in Minneapolis talking to some, like random Hollywood producer about her ideas for my book was kind of a thrill. And usually what happens is what happened to my book, like it got optioned, they wrote like a pilot for it, and then it got dropped by ABC or whatever. So nothing is really coming of it. But it was really exciting to kind of go through that process. And someday maybe it's the business is so unpredictable. Everything about publishing is so unpredictable. You never really know what what work of yours is going to catch on or who might like it or and there's nothing I can do to really control that. But um, I do write like commercial, easy reading kind of books that someday, maybe you never know. Well, I, think- I also
1: just want to tell you that I was at two Barnes and Nobles yesterday looking for your books. And um, I found one book on the summer read oh, table. But your other two books in both places, they told me have been sold out. Yay. I love to hear that. Thank you. I just wanted to let you know that, you know, people are reading your books and they're actually reading books. I mean, of course you can download on Kindle and do all those things, but I'm a person that I need a book. I want to hold it. I want to look at it. I want to put it in my bag. So. That's awesome. I like to hold the books too, but I also have a
2: Kindle so that at night, when if I wake up in the night yes. or something, then I can read without bothering my husband and very courteous yeah. that way.
1: Yeah. And do you come <laughs> up love- with the cover of your book or do you have no. someone else do that? That is like
2: what we were talking about before. Like you have to let people who are good at their jobs do <laughs> their jobs. I have no design skills or like aesthetic um abilities, artistic abilities. And even if I did, the publisher has their own way of doing it. So they have their art department and I get to say like, oh, I think I'm, I, here's some ideas or here's some other covers that I like that I think ours could be sort of like, but then in the end, the art department just does whatever they think is going to be best. And they send it to me and I can say, I like it or I don't like it, but really, it doesn't matter. Um, I've gotten very lucky. My designer has been the same for all three books her name is Emily Osborne and after we got the Apple on minor dramas um it has like an apple unpeeling and I really like the look of that and then she did the other two they kind of have the same font and kind of the same vibe so she does that and also the title I don't get to decide um
0: I can oh, interesting mm-hmm.
2: oh I can pitch a title and um but then they the publisher usually has an idea of a a title that they want to kind of fit into a certain niche or like a certain, um, like genre or a set of books that they think is selling well or something. So that's another one where I get to say what I think, but it doesn't necessarily matter what I think.
1: I did not know that. Mm -hmm. That's that's a big surprise to me. Cause I was going to ask you, you know, do you have the title of the book before you even start writing the book? No, I'm really bad at titles too. Um,
0: Minor well, dramas. Probably good you don't pick them then.
2: Right? Minor dramas was called Detention when I first pitched it. And um my agent was like, That sounds like a romance novel. And I was like, What kind of romance novel? But um <laughs> <laughs> we changed it. And also we were she wanted a longer title that would kind of match with Big Little Lies or Little Fires Everywhere, like that type of longer title. Um, and then my my editor, at my publisher for Are We There Yet, my second book. She was like, how about the name of like a children's game or a children's refrain? And um, I have a friend who's very good at like coming up with a long list of possibilities within like some parameters. And I think she came up with that one. Um, So, yeah, I'm not that's not a skill of mine.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break because we want to talk. So here's here's my plan for the next uh, after we're done doing the podcast and I produced it really quickly and send it off so that it can be dropped very quickly. I'm going to head over to Rustica Bakery. I'm going to get a weekend worth of treats. I'm going to go to the cabin. I'm going to sit on the dock with a cup of coffee and sit and read. I'm starting with the last one first, Homer away by kathleen west we have come to lovingly know as casey and enjoy my rustica bakery treats all weekend long i'll probably buy some bread too because we love to make sandwiches at the lake and put them on the panini do you have a favorite rustica story
2: well i will say that my writers group so i met my writers group um online in a class at the loft, but they happen to be local. So like we've become like a live group. And our typical spot is to meet at the Rustica that's by Bidet Macoska. And we usually are typically there in the after school hour. Two of us were teachers. Um, And that's where we meet and kind of talk about our manuscripts in progress. So I get a fancy coffee and usually we get some baked goods to share. So it's a frequent spot for me.
0: So a lot of good creative energy for at sure. Rustica Bakery. Mm-hmm. Well, we love Rustica. You mentioned one location, B'day Makska. They are also in Southdale. Right off of Lifetime Fitness, we like to tell about the parking because I know, especially for busy people, in and out, Makes a huge difference. So you're in and out. And whether you sit there and enjoy the sunshine, both have outdoor patios. If you order ahead, rusticabakery.com, you can order things ahead. You want to get on there earlier if you're looking for bread and sweets because they make everything every day. And so they only have a limited supply. So earlier, the better. How about you, Lisa? I think it's worth I telling your I was just
1: there yesterday, Katie. What did I get? Uh, you got one cookie and did you get iced tea or I coffee? did get an iced tea 16 ounce mm-hmm. and my double chocolate little cookie one and they always look at me like you just want one yeah I just want one because if I get any more I will eat them all in one sitting because you know they make them small so you think you need to have another one so it's like nope nope just want one. It was so good. And then I got my punch salad that's next door. Oh, I was like in complete happy mode. I wonder,
0: Kathleen, do they know that they have an award-winning writer sitting there with her writers? I don't think so.
1: I should maybe tell them that that I think we just have. <laughs> okay, good. I think we yeah, they listen, so I think we just have yeah.
0: okay. Good. Yes. Rustica dot com. Okay, now back to the nitty gritty. We're talking to Kathleen West, KC, about writing. She is an award-winning author. She's a Minnesota girl. You grew up here, right? Absolutely. Yep.
2: I'm from Mendota Heights. um, And I went to Visitation High School where I'm now teaching. And then I went to McAllister College. And so I've actually been in Minnesota forever. I didn't mean to do that. I always (laughs) imagined that I would go like be cosmopolitan and world traveling, um, And I told my parents I was going far away for college, and then of course I did not. And then I met my husband right after I graduated, and he is a huge Minnesota Vikings fan and very loyal to the state and always says, like, why would we live anywhere else? So I've already started planting seeds for like for retirement, like maybe we could spend a month here or a month there, and it's going to take me the 20 years that we have until we retire to convince him that that might be a good idea. So I'm stuck in Minnesota forever.
0: That's okay. He'll get there when, when he's retired and winters become very long. Yeah. Yeah. Then you might have some trips in your works. Let's go back a minute. How long have you known you wanted to write? Well, I've known that I wanted to be a writer forever. Um,
2: I always pictured myself as a writer. My fifth grade teacher told me that I was the most likely in her class to become a novelist. So I was very honored by that and held on to that for a long time. Um, But I didn't really like take writing seriously until my youngest child was in first grade. Um, I just didn't have time, you know, like I went to college, got a job, got married, had kids like and then by the time all of that happens, you're in your mid thirties. So um, yeah. And then what, what happened was I thought to myself, like, if I want to write a book, like I better just sit down and try to write a book. And that kind of became a a philosophy of mine, like you can't do it if you don't try to do it. It's a little bit um, wordy, but it's true. Like You can't run a marathon unless you try to run a marathon. You can't write a book unless you try to write a book. Um, and so I just started kind of playing around with it. And then once I liked it, once I liked doing it, and I was curious to see if I could take it any further, I took some classes at The Loft here in Minneapolis. We have um, that great resource available. And then I just sort of take, started taking like the next step and the next step and the next step with that idea like, well, if I don't try to get an agent, I can't get an agent. If I don't try to publish the book, I can't publish the book. Um, and then I just, publishing like everything is a kind of a luck based, there's a huge component of luck involved. And I got kind of lucky um, in that my first book was about helicopter parenting and it sold to the publisher at the same time that the Varsity Blues scandal was sort of raging. So people were really interested in over-involved parents and parents that don't really know the, the boundaries for what's appropriate in helping their kids. Um, so that really helped me out. And then I'm kind of a grinder, like I mentioned. So I just kept plugging away. Um, my, my unlucky side is that all three of my books that I've written now have been released during the pandemic.
0: So I was going like... to ask you, I was going to ask you about that, looking at the dates they were released 2020 on the first, um, you mentioned another book that you did, though, was that one published? Or your first book? Well, you said the first very book?
2: first book that I wrote that I started playing around with, I worked on it for a year, it was a New Year's resolution to try to write a book, and I wrote every day for a year on this book, and it was terrible. So that book <laughs> disappeared. Um, and it actually like, I put it away on the day that I got the idea for minor dramas. So, but then by then I was already in the writing habit. So, you know, it was easy to pivot from one idea to the other. And then actually when I wrote my second book, I stole some of the characters and their backstories from that old manuscript that wasn't going anywhere. So this is another thing that I think like your experiments and your failed projects are never really failures. Like you're just always building to the next thing. So, um, I never think there's like wasted writing,
0: even if it doesn't get published. That's a, that's fabulous. I can see where teaching also that you can impart that on kids because let's face it, there's a lot of failure in growing up. Yeah. I mean, I think failure is like the biggest
2: thing, like the biggest constant in life, you know, like it's just sort of a reality. And Um, that is a big priority of mine as a teacher is to sort of normalize failure. And I usually narrate my failures, um, for the students, even small things, like when we were setting up, for instance, like I was fiddling with my headset for a while on this podcast. And if I were doing that in the classroom, I would talk about it like, oh shoot, you know, obviously I've made a mistake here, blah, blah, blah. And then you can see, like I'm modeling for the students that there are really no consequences for that mistake, you know? Um, we worked through it, we moved to the other side of it. And the same thing, if I'm doing a lesson, that's not going well, or if I'm writing in front of the students and the sentence doesn't come out, I always point out the failure. Um, because it's going to happen. Like you're going to have some good moments in life and a lot of really bad ones. (laughs) I mean, unfortunately,
0: you know, you know, it's interesting. My son-in-law is a, um, a writing teacher, an English teacher at a private school in the twin cities. And I asked him um, the last time we were together, I said, what what is something that has surprised you? So he 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 has kind of a long story and came back. This is his second year teaching. And um, he is uh, in his 40s. So he went to the University of Iowa Writers Workshop, Mm -hmm. was thinking he was going to be a college professor, fell in love. And, you know, his story changed a little bit. I think it would make a great <laughs> book, actually, mm-hmm. if he ever decides to write. But I asked him, what's the most surprising thing about teaching? And he said, um, the lack of uh, kids, I'm trying to think of the exact words he used, but the inability to, of kids to take responsibility for mistakes. Yeah,
2: I think people feel, kids feel a lot of pressure um, to be perfect. I mean, and they, they're they under a lot of expectation. I've taught at a lot of, like, high-powered schools. Um, I worked at Edina, as I mentioned. Then I taught at Blake for a decade, and now I'm at Visitation. Like, people who put a lot of pressure on themselves and parents that put a lot of pressure on their kids. And it can feel really vulnerable to to fail in, some, in front of someone. And I think like kids unwillingness to take responsibility for their mistakes is more about like, it's not like a malicious thing or that they want to be difficult to adults. It's that they just don't really know how to integrate like a real human self. <laughs> and I think kids right now, like after these two years of pandemic, I'm the mom of two teenagers. So I see it at home also and at school, like everybody is really struggling socially. Like we don't know how to behave really anymore. And kids especially don't really know how to behave. I was talking with some colleagues at the end of the year about this because like the students' behavior in the auditorium was really bad. And I was like, well, think about it. We haven't been in the auditorium for two years. So they've never had, like the juniors have never had like a normal end of the year assembly. So we have to tell them, like we have to be really explicit. Like, okay, here's how I want you to walk into the auditorium. Here's how I want you to sit in the auditorium. Here's the range of behaviors that we're going to practice in the auditorium. Like, We can't assume that like the 17-year-olds know 17-year-old stuff when they haven't been out in public
0: since they were 14. It's constant. It's constant Mm -hmm. training, retraining. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. But wait, let me just stop for
1: a minute. Adults also are having the same issues. Yes, yes. They are. And I think we have to give
2: each other some grace and also remind ourselves, like, this is how we do it. And I just think, like, if you can have that, like, acceptance of failure and, like, allow yourself to be awkward. I was just reading this article yesterday that I came across on Instagram about, like, how to make friends as adults. And one of the points, it was in the Atlantic, if people want to look it up. But one of the things was, like, you have to be willing to put yourself out there and let it be awkward. And that is so hard. To do, um, because of that fear of failure, but that is really the only way to to grow. In this case, to make new friends. So absolutely,
0: and, you know, we're seeing these changes all over when we come back together. I mean, we joke about um, the behavior of people in Costco. You know, stopping yes. their car in the middle. They have no idea. Just of They have no you know, idea. Just them, have, have no, people <clears> just <throat> the like. Oh my God, we're amongst people again, and it's a whole new broad awakening. I want to. I want to. Uh, we're getting close to coming up against ending and and moving on but I want you to tell me some good things that you're seeing happening in the classroom because I feel like we have to focus on the there are so many good things like
2: I mean kids are awesome this is why I write about about kids you know they're funny and great and um really really earnest like I see my students um coming to the table with ideas that i've never considered you know like i I plan a lesson about feminist criticism or something and i think it's going to go one way and what they bring to the table is so much richer um so that's amazing i see them like with so much openness for difference and um so much passion for justice um i mean oh sorry see this is a failure my ear thing just fell out um but uh, um, kids are fantastic. Like every day is a joy to go to school. When I first um, published minor dramas, I was teaching, I was doing third grade, which is a new job for me. And I didn't have time to like continue to learn how to do third grade and also write. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just be a full-time writer for a while. And within a year of being home and not with students, I was like, oh, that I can't function like this. I need to be with kids. Like, For a couple of reasons. Like, you laugh really hard every day. Um, They give you so much. Like, if you open the door to a relationship, like, kids are gonna walk in. Um, And also, something this is related to both of your jobs, I think, in terms of like fake it till you make it. Like, we were talking about, like, if I have to be the adult in the room that is functional and optimistic about the world, then I feel functional and optimistic about the world. Whereas, like, if bad things are happening and I'm stuck at home in my office by myself, like, it's easy to go down like a doom spiral, but being with young people, you're not allowed to do that. And then you don't do it.
1: That was very well said. Very, very Very well said. said. Thank you very much for that. All right. I got a question for you. Okay. What do you think your superpower is? Oh, that is a really hard question, Lisa. No, it's not. Um, I I would have a good answer for you. And I just met you.
2: My superpower is uh, probably that like curiosity and lifelong learning. Um, that's probably something that I'm really good at. I'm, I'm pretty good at connecting with people. You have to be if you're a teacher. So
1: I guess those two things. I think one of your superpowers is that you are witty and you humor are okay. It's okay to laugh at any time, which is yeah, really true. hard to do. I mean there's a lot of people that don't know how to laugh. Yeah. I think it yeah,
2: that
0: is something that I that I like about myself. So, that's true. And and I think it's it's worth noting that that doesn't mean that things aren't serious. No. It just means that you have this ability to put things in perspective and and use humor as a phenomenal tool which has to help you in teaching. And what I would hope that every parent would learn is that that humor for them. And that ability to stay away from maybe those real heavy, heavy subjects that kids aren't ready for, and keep some of that humor in the home might be very helpful.
2: Yeah, I do think that humor can like uh, diffuse a lot of very difficult um, situations. So if ever I can default to it, I will.
1: Do you teach your children how to laugh? Like if you have students that are not you you can tell that they're not funny naturally like do you give them the space to laugh about something instead of get you know sad or not have confidence
2: I try to incorporate like some human
1: moments in
2: my classroom and um I mean I get a lot of smiles out of out of kids and part of it is that like I'll make them you know like I stand outside my door say hi to everyone and if a kid walks by without saying hi to me, I'll be like, I'll call that out. You know, like, hey, did you just try to walk by without saying, you know, like, so I will be, I'm always willing to be the,
0: the silly one or the goofy one or the uncool one. Um, what so. would you say is one lesson that each kid comes out of your classroom remembering?
2: Well, I, what I hope is that like, they would never get that lesson that you got, Katie, where your teacher said, like, she's not a good writer. I, I just, I don't believe that, like, as a teacher, my job is to, like, teach people how to be good writers, and I really strongly believe that literacy, like, reading and writing is for everybody, so um, that most important thing to me is that they would come out of my classroom with, like, the knowledge that I think they can be a good reader and writer, that I think that, and also that they, even if they choose not to engage in my subject matter, that they are a good person, you know, I don't care. Like my love is unconditional. So you can get a C, you can get an A, like I love you the same. Those are the things I really hope they, they get. That's wonderful.
0: I, I, I know that you are a writer and an award winning at that. And so enjoyable to talk to. I'm glad that we got to touch on your teaching portion because I think teachers, especially nowadays, have really really been um maligned and it's been tough for them right especially during the pandemic i met a teacher uh she's been teaching 38 years at a high school in minneapolis the one on the oh. river <laughs> okay at Minneapolis. Uh-huh, maybe? okay nope uh right downtown why can't i okay. think of the name of it uh deal us out oh deal us out yes okay i've been okay. teaching yeah. at deal us out for 38 years oh my she gosh she teaches And I asked her uh, what she taught. And she said, I teach kids how to function in the world, something to that effect. But she also, she has PE classes and whatnot, and she teaches them to juggle. Mm. She teaches every, she has middle school. She teaches them to juggle. She said, because that's a metaphor for life. So interestingly enough, I have a nephew that went to D LaSalle many, many years ago. And so I took a picture. We were golfing in a, in a tournament for women's basketball at the university of Minnesota. Hmm. And I was paired with her and we had just the best time, Mary Beth. And I said, do you remember my nephew? And she did. And from many years ago, and she said, ask him if he still knows how to juggle. So that's how we got into that. But I thought, what a neat thing. And he, of course, I don't think he still juggles, but he remembered her, had wonderful things to say about her. And I think that is just such a beautiful gift to give to students that they can walk out feeling this person cared, this person taught me something I can live with my entire life. And you're right. Remembering back to that, I still get emotional when I think about that teacher saying that. And how many other kids did she affect with her words of, you know, not encouragement, but directly the opposite.
2: Yeah. And, in teaching, like you can say, like you say so many things every single day that not everything is going to be like your best, most inspiring thing to say, but I, I do think it's really important to remember that words matter, you know, like what you say to a kid matters, how you made them feel is really the most important thing
0: yeah well thank you what tell us what are you working on what's your next oh my gosh this is the worst part besides (laughs) the the worst part when people ask you this question well (laughs) just
2: right now it's the worst part because I churned out those three like I'd had a 2020 book a 2021 book and a 2022 book and so Like it was like, bam, 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 that I got those done. And then while I was working on the 2022 book, I was working on a different book that my editor was like, oh, this isn't going to go anywhere. And I was like, oh no. So then I did that book. Then I started another one that it was really, I think it's a really cool idea, but my editor doesn't like it for my next book. So I'm on a third next book idea, which I think is going to go, but it's so new that I can't even really tell you anything about it, except for I think it's a feel good murder mystery which means that people die but you don't care about the people that die <laughs> Oh god so okay. I don't know in a year in a year hopefully I can tell you it turned out great <laughs>
0: but
2: right now I'm in the phase where I'm like I'm making myself sit down and write the 400 words a day to get like some words on the page okay. so
0: 400 words a day All right we'll follow up and then book number 5 is going to be a wardrobe consultant the wardrobe, consultant. Their, the wardrobe yeah. consultant and yes. her escapades
1: But if you want to meet Um, at Rustica Bakery and talk about it. Yeah, we could do that. That That would be so fun. I would love that. Kathleen, thank you.
0: If people want to get a hold of you or people want to get your book, what's the best way to do that it's
2: really easy to just google like kathleen west books and i come up right away i'm on instagram so if you search my name there or twitter you can find me there and local people i do visit book clubs so if your book club decides to read one of my books like i'd love to see you if it works out so yeah it's very easy to find me online or in barnes and noble anywhere you buy books would be fine
1: and you have a fabulous blog Oh, I, I do love your blog. You
2: do. That's so funny. Thank you I so love much. Blog. I started it when my son who's 18, when he was a baby, when blogs were still a thing. Um, and actually that blog, I think is how I like learned how to write dialogue and all this stuff, but for it's mostly for me now, like as a warm up when I don't want to write, as you said,
0: that's my warm up. I love it so. so much. Well, thank you. We usually ask for a nonprofit. And you picked Planned Parenthood, which we have done before. And we asked you if we could co-opt that because we have a really special nonprofit that we want to focus on. So thank you for giving up absolutely your, your time on that. Thank, thank you that. Very, okay. very much. Talk to you later. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a delight. Oh, God, you just want to hug her. So Lisa, you have a client who has become a friend and she is facing some insurmountable odds. And
1: we wanted to talk about that. Tell us a little bit about what's going on. So this is um very near and dear to my heart. And she started as a client, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe, maybe 12. And she has become a very good friend of mine. And she's fighting her biggest fight. And we have heard about a fund that anybody can donate because they are on the verge of having a possible cure for the leukemia that she has called AML. And I would like everybody If they have the opportunity or they can donate, even if it's $10, because what gets donated now, they are going to use immediately to help fight this. And so there's a group of women who have put together this
0: fund through City of Hope. So everything is a 501c3 donation, but we need to get this link to you because it's a very long link. So we need to get this link to you. We're going to be putting it out on social media. We'll put it on our website so that that money goes directly into the fund because this doctor, her doctor is on the verge of curing this particular type of cancer. And Lisa, if you would be okay, I would like to read what Jen has written in her own words. And we can put this, we can link all of this, I believe as well. Yes. yes. Jennifer Smith is her name. Life is a game of odds. What are the odds you graduate from high school and go to college? Pretty good. What are the odds you fall in love, get married, and have two children and two grandchildren? Okay, also pretty good. What are the odds you get triple negative breast cancer? It's less than 1% of all breast cancers and one of the most difficult to treat. Now, what are the odds that the chemotherapy and radiation treatment for your triple negative breast cancer causes TAML, treatment-related acute myeloid leukemia two years later. That happens in about 1% of all triple negative breast cancer cases. The standard treatment for AML is chemotherapy and often radiation to wipe out leukemia blasts. Once these cells are wiped out, you are in remission and ready for a bone marrow transplant, BMT. The five-year success rate for this treatment plan is approximately 30%. What happens when that doesn't work and leukemia returns? Quite frankly, the odds aren't good. I remember when I was much younger hearing about people with cancer back then, there was very little chance of survival. You could only pray that someday someone would find a cure for cancer. Over the subsequent years, there have been remarkable advances in early detection, as well as chemotherapy, radiation, and immunotherapy. Many types of cancers um, are now routinely cured or managed. There are other concerns like mine that are still waiting for their cure moment. With respect to AML, I believe that moment has arrived. Many of us have given generously to cancer related causes and organizations. Quite often those funds go to the general cancer causes. Does it make a difference? Absolutely. But what if someone was so close to a cure for a very challenging type of cancer and you could make the difference? What if you could directly move that knowledge from hope in a laboratory to reality in a patient's life journey. I'll stop reading there and say, this time is now. And that's what we're asking all of you to do would be to donate through this link that we're going to post this Dr. Guido Marcucci, I think is how we say his name is world-renowned at this, and he is on the brink. He is a doctor at City of Hope, and he and his research team are poised to cure this cancer. And so the City of Hope is establishing an accelerator fund for the Gare Family Center for Leukemia Research at City of Hope. This fund will help Dr. Marcucci accelerate the development of these life-saving advances. And we hope that this can happen for Jennifer and for everyone else who's suffering from this. A little bit more about this, following her original diagnosis of triple negative breast cancer, 10 friends from around the country who had met through either women's president organization or committee of 200 rallied around Jen. And their collective goal was to ensure that her journey would be a team effort and that she would feel cocooned in love and support. In the spirit of camaraderie, we dubbed ourselves the Power Pack and befitting a group of leaders started planning how to make each week filled with love and just a bit more bearable. So we're going to put the link up. You can also give via check and that would be payable to City of Hope with my Power Pack in the memo line. And the address to give is City of Hope Attention Annual Giving 1500 East Durante Road, Durante, California nine one zero one zero reach out to us if you need any further information and the tagline on this information it is together that we overcome and we hope you are together with us on this thank you for listening so lisa we have some good things in store for season three season we are, four is coming season
1: up four so good you keep me on the street now we are, we are- finishing season three and we are starting season four. So lots
0: of good things coming up. Lots of fun people to talk to. um, Lots of fun conversations you and I need to have or want to have, I should say. Always Or should have. I really dislike the word should.
1: I know you do. (laughs) That makes you nervous. (laughs) I don't know if
0: it's nervous so much. It's like, I should do that. Really? But we'll talk about that in the future. If you want to use the word should, we'll go there. In the meantime, we want everyone to be able to look at themselves in the mirror, be able to say, Hey, you're damn good. And you've done a good job. And then give yourself a smile, pat on the back, maybe, and know that you are the best and only you that you can be. Thank you, Katie. Until next time, my friend.